0: Behind every successful production, there are dozens of people working day in and day out to make the magic happen. Now, we'll take a moment to shine the spotlight on them. I'm your host, Morgan Shea. Join me tonight as we interview some of the artists who make it all possible. Hello and welcome to the Spotlight series. I'm your host, Morgan Shea, and joining me today is Michaela Carr. Hi, Michaela. How are you?
1: I'm great, Morgan. I'm so happy to be talking
0: Thanks. It's it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Um, so let's dive right in. Where are you from? What do you do? And what got you interested in doing it?
1: I am from Maine. I'm from Central Maine, which is not a huge theater hub. Um, and I am a scenic artist. So I paint the sets that when you go to the theater and what got me interested in doing it was that I was really interested in set design but I needed a summer job and so I was like well what does the aspiring set designer do for a summer job and so I applied to be a paint center and since I started doing that like that was it I didn't really want to be a set designer anymore I just wanted to paint.
0: Awesome and if I recall, you did start in the theater in high school and you were an actress at one point?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I actually, I did start out acting since I was like a little little kid. I was in like first grade. I wanted to be Snow White in the play. We had like a first grade play. And, but I got cast as the Wicked Witch instead and I was so upset but I was like the best Wicked Witch the first grade teacher had ever seen. <laughs> If you could believe it. And yeah, I acted all through high school, but I started doing, like, tech stuff. Probably my sophomore year of high school, I wanted to, I was like, I'm just going to, like, stop doing theater. I don't really want to focus on that. I want to focus on sports. And then this wonderful director who I had been working with, Deborah Susie, was like, why don't you just be an ASM on this production said like that's way less commitment which was a lie and <laughs> and then I started doing tech stuff Then I was doing like basically run crew things and starting to help paint there and build there that's kind of how I got into tech I guess I didn't know I was going to tell that whole thing.
0: yeah it's honestly I love how so many people kind of stumble into it Um, I think we all kind of came across this, um, industry one day and then got hooked. I think it's a really similar story.
1: Yeah, it was like, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do acting anymore. And that was so true. I didn't really want to act anymore. I just Mm -hmm. loved, like, seeing how things, like, actually work and, like, making them happen
0: so scenic artistry is such a complex art form it's difficult for someone seeing a final product on stage to understand what steps were taken and what the process was like to get to that final product so could you tell us about what the job of a scenic artist is and what the production process is like for you from start to finish
1: yeah definitely so it really depends on your. Role in the like scenic art hierarchy you know what I mean and we're going to talk about that a little bit later I think but as a scenic charge artist who's the person in like deciding how everything is going to be painted you get renderings from a designer sometimes you get one set of rendering sometimes you get multiple sets of renderings and renderings are like the the pictures not necessarily the drafting but like the image of what they want that to look like like actually look like and so you get those and you have to basically work backwards from what they have done to see they give you the last thing that you want to see and you have to work backwards and see where do you need to start to build up all those layers that they put on there so that you can have the final product that they gave you, but in super huge scale and you need to do it really fast.
0: I kind of think of it like if they're looking at the final picture on like a puzzle box, like a 2000 piece puzzle, but you're given like a bunch of blank cardboard pieces, not only do you have to get the picture, but figure out what to draw if that makes sense.
1: Definitely. That's a great way to put it. And um, a big part of what we do is pick out the like colors that we're going to need to use. We have to mix the color that the designers put on there because they don't always just pick like, oh, it's the um, like Benjamin Moore 276. Like you don't always get that. A lot of designers do do that. But You have to, like, look at the colors, mix the colors, uh, talk about texture with them, which is any other, like, 3D elements that would be on the set pieces and think about how the pieces are being used. You have to talk a lot with the technical director and with the director of the show to see how actors are going to use these that determines a lot about what kind of products you use, how you do it, all sorts of stuff like that.
0: And I also think it's important to note that scenic artistry is not necessarily just painting. You'll run into a couple different projects that could be foam carving or all kinds of different treatments. Could you talk a little bit about the different aspects of scenic art you've run into?
1: Definitely, I love talking about this. Um, carving is a huge thing. We do a lot of foam carving and, like, not, like, paper mache finishes, but, like, covering things with, like, pieces of fabric and, uh, using, like, very different materials than just paint, like, natural material. And, Home, like we mentioned, fabric, all sorts of things like that to create the final product, the final look. I'm trying to think of other, like, carving is always the big thing for me, I think, is like painting and carving. And, like,
0: I think there's easy. some, like, plaster work, right? Like, if you're trying to achieve brick, you'll, what would you do, to achieve that. You mix in um, sawdust into paint. Is that
1: correct? Yeah. So a lot of like texture work. I had mentioned texture earlier about making elements more 3D. And so we use a lot of like joint compound or like paint that's thickened up and then you put sawdust in it. Like anything to make it bigger and thicker and able to make the shapes that you want it to and create depth for you. And there's like products that we use like JackSan, which is actually for like roofing, but we use it to create um, thick textures, but it's a lightweight material. So there's all kinds of different materials that we use to create the final look, not all flat or It's not all just painted but there are a lot of really amazing things you can do to make it look pretty
0: yeah and what i find i think the most interesting about scenic art is that it's kind of a a catch-all between departments so it's not something that carpentry is going to build or a costuming department is going to drape or do a fabric treatment or it's not necessarily a prop piece scenic artists can come in and kind of carry a piece of scenery um to that final product point
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's what's so like fulfilling about it for me is that you get something and it looks great um but it doesn't look anything like what it's supposed to and then you are the one who makes that look like the final product on stage like you don't necessarily build the product but you transform it into the designer's vision which is what I love doing and it like really brings out the creativity and problem solving skills because sometimes you do something and you're like that did not go how I thought it was going to but with paint you always say there's it's just paint you can always fix it and there's so much
0: work that I feel like you're pumping life into a set piece because you'll get it back and it's usually blonde or there's, you know, someone's patched over screw holes or staple holes and um, you're really pumping life into it. And I know when we used to work together as scenic artists, throwback, um, (laughs) I know um, we had so much fun working on different projects and just really transforming them.
1: Yeah, like something that really comes to mind for me is we had a boat that I used at CRT at Connecticut Repertory Theatre. It was originally built over the summer for Mama Mia, and then we used it again for Shakespeare in Love. And when we got the boat, like it looked so cool. We were like, "Oh my gosh, that looks like a boat. That's so cool." And then, but once we started painting it and like finished it, it was so, so amazing and so much fun because, like, it looked real because it was, but um, yeah, <laughs> and it was fun to use that in one show and then turn around and have it repurposed. We, as you know, because we worked on that together, it got extended so it got lengthened, so there was like a huge patch in it, and so we had to make sure that that patch went away, and then looked completely different. And they did look like completely different boats.
0: Yeah, that that is a great example of even changing a piece from show to show. You're just able to adapt so well and patch holes and do all these faux treatments and really take scenery from a great spot to its best spot. So, I think um, we, we've talked a little bit about scenic artistry, um, but there's actually a bunch of different components and a bunch of different people that can work together on a scenic art team. So, could you tell us about the difference between a scenic charge artist, an assistant charge, a lead artist, and a scenic artist?
1: I sure can. And... It gets kind of confusing because that's a lot of the same words used over and over again. Yeah. So, <laughs> a lot of people get confused. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. But I'll start with a I'll start with scenic artist. So a scenic artist is the person who is on the floor on a day-to-day basis uh getting the pieces that need to be painted and following instructions given to them to paint the piece. And they're the one doing most of the, just like actual painting work. Um, And they are following along, um, kind of listening to what the lead artist or the assistant charge artist would tell them to do. So then who would be kind of helping them would be the lead artist on a project. You don't always have a lead artist, but this is someone who you can go to with questions and their hand is the one that you're hoping to follow them and the charge artist. And that means that whatever the style is that they're painting on a project, you're Your work as a scenic artist needs to match that because if you're going and say you're working on this brick wall and one part of the brick wall looks super heavily textured and there's all these like holes, divots and everything. And then the next part is like built up, but it's nice and smooth. Then the next part is like kind of in the middle between those. You're going to notice the difference between each of those. And so this person is kind of keeping everybody so that it doesn't look like, oh, one person did that part, one person did that part.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like trying to match someone's handwriting.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then the assistant charge artist is the right-hand man to the charge artist. So I'll talk about those two kind of together. So the scenic charge artist is the person who talks with the designer They're the one who's making the calls on what products we're going to use, what colors we're going to use, the steps that you take to achieve the final product so they're making all those decisions and with the help of the assistant charge artist so the scenic charge is making samples they might give um a rendering to the assistant to make the samples for them mix the color for them and the scenic charge artist usually is not on the floor painting with all of the other artists all the time a lot of times they do i know that i pretty much always have and i've worked at some like smaller theaters so whenever i've been a charge artist i've been like the same as the lead artist. So a lot of these have crossover in them, but the charge artist is the one who is telling everybody what is happening, but not necessarily the one actually doing it. And the assistant charge artist helps them out with delegating the tasks to people, mixing the color, making the sample, and, like, overseeing that everything on the floor goes well. So the charge artist is talking mostly with the designer and seeing their vision and then figuring that out, making sure that all the steps are there, and then telling the assistant charge artist or the lead artist and having them oversee that that's all happening with the scenic artist. I said artists a lot of times. Yeah,
0: it's (laughs) they all of the names sound very similar, right?
1: Um, it is kind of hard to follow, but it's basically like a four tier system, but you're all working together, they're braided,
0: right? And what I've seen, um, working from place to place is that the scenic charge artist also has to maintain kind of the business side of what you're doing in terms of uh budgeting. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, that's a huge part of it. I didn't even touch on the scenic charge. Artist is the one who's ordering all of the paint, ordering the products. So we use all kinds of different products: sealers, um, brushes, rollers, trowels, Anything that we need to buy, that's what they are working on. If we need new buckets, if things are getting raggy, um, they're making sure that the budget. Stays in check, and that's why they're kind of the person who decides how things are going to get painted. Because you can decide if a product is or is not in the budget for you if that's too expensive to. Do. And um, has to talk to the designer a little bit about when you get the renderings if something looks like you can't do it. That's the charge artist all not um, the scenic artist or anybody else who's working on the Right yeah and
0: it, the scenic charge artist really has to wear a lot of hats in terms of you know one second you might be budgeting, one second you might be checking on something on the floor or following up with the designer. Um, there's really a lot of moving parts that go into painting a set or treating a set Mm -hmm. definitely Um, there's
1: what were you gonna say sorry
0: no uh go ahead i was gonna move on but i I love hearing about
1: no um, i was just i was just gonna say basically the same thing that there it's it is it's a lot of different things and you just have to switch from thing to thing to thing as the day goes on like and you don't know what your day is going to look like a lot of the time because your schedule is so dependent on everybody else it's not just like oh today we're gonna work on like something because if we don't have it this is talking about like set pieces like if we don't have a set piece then we can't work on it so your day has to be really flexible and as a charge artist in addition to being flexible about, like, your daily scheduling, you have to just switch between, um, like, budgeting, helping on the floor, instructing people on what to do, making samples, all of those things.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of departments that have their hands on the same piece of scenery, or they're trying to all share the same stage space, depending on which company you work for. So let's say um, the technical director was scheduled to have, I don't know, a wall ready for the scenic artists to paint. But maybe a carpenter had called out sick that morning and they were behind schedule. Now your day is different because you're not ready to handle that piece. Or maybe even a team of electricians come in and they need to do some notes on a light plot. It's all very like fluid and the scenic art team tends to be at the mercy of the space in the scene.
1: Yeah, I, personal preference, like not preference, opinion, but I think that the the scenic art team has to be the most flexible team because it depends so much on what everybody else is doing. Like, and you just have to roll with it because there's nothing that you can do about it. You can't make the carpenters go faster. You can't make the electricians have like do something else you just have to kind of roll with it like something that comes to mind for me is I was the charge artist for men on boats this past spring at CRT and we had these footlights that were supposed to be installed and so someone has to build those and someone also has to make those light up. And someone also has to make them look right. Right. So um, when the schedule got a little thrown off for that, then everything for everybody kind of got a little bit thrown off. You know what I mean? And we just had to kind of be like, yeah, whatever, like we'll get them done when we get them. Right. But that's just an example of like, A piece that has to be touched by like everybody.
0: And Michaela, I have to mention how outstanding it is that you were able to work your way up to becoming a scenic charge artist of a regional summer stock at a point in your life where you were still an undergraduate student. Could you tell us about what that experience was like? Yeah,
1: I really thought that that was a reach goal for me. I like applied for it, and I was really nervous about it, and I was like, "I don't know if I can do that. Um, but I had some really great mentors who have helped me and encouraged me to get to where I am right now. Daniela Weiser is the charge artist at Connecticut Repertory Theatre and is a professor at the University of Connecticut was really pushing for me to do that and helping me. And um, Jess Ploze, who works all around Connecticut and in New York, she's amazing. She's been helping me for a long time. They both were like, no, you're ready for it. Just go for it. And I presented my resume and I was able to do it. And that was just so exciting to be able to like, run a team, and have that experience, be able to do things how I wanted to do them, and trial and error was, that was a big thing for it, and I got to work with two really, really amazing designers that summer, too, so I got to work with Tim Brown on Mamma Mia, and then Alexander Woodward on Cabaret, and they were both, they're both amazing designers, and have a lot of connections, so being able to work for them and show them what I can do, like made me feel really good about moving into the professional world, having those contacts there. That was also in the professional world, that job, but it felt safe to me. Yeah, you
0: really, you really, um, you rose to the occasion, you went above and beyond. And I remember some moments watching production meetings um, This same summer, I was an assistant scenic designer and watching you have a place at the table alongside people who were still um, current and previous professors of yours or area heads of yours. Um, it was just really cool to watch. So I'm really proud of you for that. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and it, it was really great because they, also adapted to the situation they i think a lot of it did have to do with having confidence in myself and coming in knowing the facts knowing what i needed to do being prepared for the situation but it never felt like they were treating me like a student at that time and a big part of that was a lot of the people at those meetings are like older men who really like know their place and have been working there a long time and a lot of times that can seem intimidating to younger artists or younger female artists especially because uh there's just a lot of um misogyny in the technical side of theater especially but those people were amazing to work with john parmalee who was the technical director was great. And we work together so well. We're so able to communicate with each other and be on the same page. And that really helped set me up for success.
0: Awesome. And that, I think that was a summer where you grew a lot as well. And I can only imagine.
1: <laughs> um, they couldn't see my face, but Morgan could. I made it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can only imagine the projects that you were going to take on in the future and speaking of the future um you have any current or upcoming projects you're working on at this time
1: so right now i am at a little bit of a standstill with theater projects as pretty much all of us are um i was just finishing up before the pandemic started happening we were just to open Men on Boats, which was like my big, like, basically senior project. Like that was my big project for my senior year. And so, but I've been working on some bigger paintings just here at home in quarantine. And I've been out trying to help my community by working at a grocery store because I I'm just not someone who's really like sit home and do nothing, Um, not that not that sitting home is doing nothing, but I just have a hard time when I know that there's something that I can do and so but that has really helped me realize how much I love theater. Um, I've never had, not never, but I've mostly worked in theater and so doing, doing that right now has really made me more motivated for future projects um but i'm hopefully working with joe kalinowski on some like at home fun projects building and finishing projects so that's for the foreseeable future right now
0: right and i want to thank you for going out into the world and taking a job um as an essential worker in a grocery store because I know some days it might feel like not the most fun job or it might not feel like you're saving the world, but in a way you are. So from someone who is um, a little higher risk, a little less able to go out into the world, thank you for doing that. No,
1: thank you. It's, there are some really rewarding days there, I will say. So.
0: and speaking of how you kind of developed that love for the theater while working at a grocery store, um, what do you love most about being a scenic artist?
1: It's so hard to choose. I think I talked about this a little bit earlier about um, just how I love transforming a product and like really making it what it's supposed to look like. I'm not the one who makes the, shape of it usually um but I'm the one who like takes it to the finished product and I just love seeing it come in bare wood and then seeing it come out look like something completely different and amazing like um we were working on a project where we took sonato which is basically this big round Cardboardish ish and we wanted to make those look like wooden, huge wooden posts, kind of like telephone poles, and being able to take that piece of cardboard and make it look like something real, like a real telephone pole, was so much fun, and, like, it gives such satisfaction seeing a finished product that looks totally different from what
0: and I think in that process, you and a team of people had developed your own tools to do that.
1: Yeah, that's another one of my favorite things to do is like make tools for what I need. So, Joe and I, Joe Kalinowski, was the technical director for Men on Boats, which is the show that we did this for. And we were trying out all kinds of different, like, graining tools. So combs or like pieces that have, I wish I had a visual, like, basically they look like hair combs, but they're longer. And trying to pull through all this jack and joint compound with them. And it just was not giving us the result that we needed because it was round and those were flat. And they would just get a little bit of what we needed and they were huge and so uh, i was just talking to joe one day i was really frustrated and i was working on sample. i wish i could just have like around one of these just like cut the diameter of this and just make my own tool and he's like we can do that i was like oh we can <laughs> And so we ended up measuring it. He cut out handles for us that were cut to the curve of the piece that we were working on. And it was two pieces of Luan we ended up doing. We started with MDF, but you have to wash these tools and put a lot of, like, moisture and water on them. And so the MDF was, like, soaking it up and warping and doing all kinds of crazy things. So that's why we had a prototype that was not the final product we ended up using um on, so that it was like a harder material it wasn't soaking up as much stuff and we had one of those on each side and sandwiched a piece of rubber that was really for stamp making and then cut that rubber again to the curve and then sliced out so that that was the comb and then we were able to use that to go around the whole post and it took four swipes around with that it was cut into a quarter of the post four times around one before it was taking like 20 times with the comb. wow yeah and i made um like jumbo graining tools for that i really like making tools and like finding different ways to do things that are faster more efficient or just like make them look better and more accurate
0: well talk about creative problem solving i think that's a a prime example right there so with um all of this in mind all the different experiences that you've had um what was your most defining moment as a scenic artist?
1: This is a tough one. I've been thinking about this, and I think it definitely has to do with um, the floor for Mama Mia last summer when I was a charge artist at CRT. Um, I, when I first got the rendering for the floor, I was like, I there's no way that I can do that. There's absolutely no way that I can do that. Um, but luckily the designer was amazing and I was able to say, because we only have to paint the floor for pretty much anywhere, you have a set time where you can do it because everybody needs to be walking on the floor. But you can't have people walking on the floor when you're painting it, obviously, or when it's drying, or after it's been sealed for a certain amount of time. So you really have a set block of time to do your whole floor. And so I was able to negotiate with the designer about switching up the design for it a little bit. And we still reached a point that I was like, not so sure of myself in doing but I was like okay I'm gonna do it we're gonna do it and we did it and it turned out great in the end but as that was happening there were just so many like problems that kept coming up like the floor that we use has so many layers on it and there was a product that was on it that made it difficult for paint Stick to it and actually cure. And so things kept popping up and it was just taking much longer than usual. And so having that overnight call where I like actually finished the floor despite all of these setbacks, like multiple, multiple setbacks, have it finished and have the designer love it and have no notes was like, that was really great and, like, made me more confident as an artist because something that I thought that I could not do was done and, like, looked how everyone wanted.
0: I think there comes a time in everyone's career where you're faced with a big ask Mm -hmm. and in the moment, You just there. There really aren't options. You're just you go for it, and you'll be working and working, and you get a setback, like you said, paint wouldn't stick to a certain product, and it's just this. Oh no, and there's no way out. (laughs) You just have to kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and keep moving forward, and it just makes the end product that much more meaningful and it's a sweet victory
1: (laughs) yeah definitely I think you're right everybody has that moment where you're like there's no way out I just have to do it and get it done and I think that is many many defining moment their career as an artist
0: for me there was a moment where I was working on a model for a show and I was on crutches and I had to go back and forth between my workspace and where the printer was and there were a few stairs involved. So I was working overnight to complete this project and I thought, oh no, it's gonna take me an additional 10 minutes to go back and forth between my workstation and the printer and I have a set time to do this so that's when you know creative problem solving comes in. I'm I'm figuring out carrying things with messenger bags. I'm figuring out the least amount of trips to the printer. Um, so I think moments like those, where you feel like the cards are stacked against you, um, those are the defining moments. And those and when you succeed, I'm sure when. The designer came in to look at that Mamma Mia floor, it kind of just solidifies your confidence in yourself and what you're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's another memory that comes up, another floor. The floors are always the the problem. (laughs) Uh, Jess Ploze and I were working on a floor at Westport Country Playhouse. I honestly don't remember what show it was or we just work on a lot of shows that's another thing about being a scenic artist and working in a lot of theaters and working over hire is a lot of times you don't know not that you don't know what you're working on but you just you're working on your work you aren't a part of the bigger production a lot of times like the big picture you're part of the big picture of the set but you're not really invested in like what the show actually is going to be or anything like that. That's just a sidebar that I thought of. But it was this floor with all kinds of geometry and forced perspective and, like, writing on it. It was forced perspective street floor that had, like, crosswalks on it and, like, road signs and... There were so many layers and Jess and I were working on this doing a bunch of overnights and like measuring out the floor and we were like, there's no way to do this. We had the rendering and a scale rule and we had to measure exactly to where it was going to be, snap the lines on the floor, do the drawings on the floor and it's so hard because you can't get far enough away to really see what you're doing. And those like really difficult nights, like there were some mess ups, and we had to go in the next day and fix them. But in the end, it looked so good, and we were like, we did do it. Like it, it got done.
0: Yeah, I I love a good success story.
1: (laughs) We all do. We all do love a good success story.
0: So, Michaela, with each interview that I do here at the Spot Night series. I like to try and tie in some kind of overarching theme or topic that you are passionate about passionate about in your life that affects you as an artist. So with you, I thought we could talk a little bit about the life of an overhire artist um, and how all of that commuting affects you along with the inherent nature of being a scenic artist, which also involves some overnight calls and kind of how you balance all of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a crazy schedule. Um, And so basically what overhire means is that you are not on staff at a theater. You're not actually employed by a theater. They will call you when they need people to help them do a certain job. And sorry, (laughs) my dog just walked in and I need him to leave. Um, (laughs) At least she's not being disruptive. So you aren't actually um, employed by that theater full-time. You just come in and work when they need you to work. And so this causes all kinds of great things and some problems, but it's hard because you never know what you're going to be working um you could get a call like i could get a call today i probably won't producing anything right now (laughs) if i did i would go but um theater's all over the place and depending on where you live you're going to be commuting pretty far like two and a half hours three hours to get to a call and those calls are usually quite long. Usually, well, it depends on the kind of work that you're doing, the schedule that you're on, but it's not uncommon to have 12 hour calls. And so you're commuting long distances and um, having to work long hours and then get back to your home base. And that can be really tiring. Um, but it is, it's all about balance and making sure that you're actually sleeping when you get home I did that for a while where I was like "Oh, I'm working nights like that means I can just visit with people during the day and that worked okay for time but it it gets really really exhausting like you got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself like you're sleeping that you're eating right that you're like drinking water and keeping hydrated during those calls because it's really really common for Phoenix to get sick for a number of reasons. A lot of chemicals and like particles in the air. Same with carpentry with breathing in sawdust and all kinds of things all the time. Like it's really common for you to get sick because of those things, in addition to not drinking water on your calls, not eating right or eating often enough. So it's really very Like it applies to everybody, just you have to take care of yourself and make sure that you're not spreading yourself too thin with the overnight calls, making sure that you're like not your sleep schedule will never you'll never have a real schedule. But making sure that you do get those hours in that you need of rest huge. It's funny that we mention
0: overnight calls because I was looking through my phone today and it was actually 2 years ago today was my first ever overnight paint call <laughs> and, and I'm sure i remember, you loved it i <laughs> i remember going into it i had um two coffees and a mountain dew and i thought it's going to be great i'm going to get through this just fine but if you feed your body garbage in an attempt to you know stay up all night and work you're it's it's counterproductive you'll you'll crash and you have to take care of yourself and that was a summer where i had done four overnight calls back to back um and i you know it's difficult sleeping when you have roommates and all of that so kind of the life of a scenic artist um really it's schedules go out the window. Um, and you're really, uh, you're really back and forth between working and commuting and, and, you know, health is so important to be able to sustain all of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I say that you had two coffees in a Mountain Dew that it will work sometimes, but it usually is just not going to end well for you and making sure that you're taking care of yourself and keeping your health up is huge, especially in this time for all of us, seeing how much your health really like is important and is like a gift is extraordinary.
0: Yeah. And you can't get away with putting band-aids on a bullet wound as my mother says. (laughs) Yes. So, So, finally, Michaela, um, what, if anything, would you like our listeners to know about how the entertainment industry is being affected by COVID 19? And what are some alternative ways that you know of that people can still support the arts and the artist community?
1: It's a great, great question that a lot of people are asking right now. Um, The entertainment industry is taking a huge, huge hit and that's not a surprise or unknown to pretty much anyone at this point and especially live entertainment. We're gonna get T V back at like pretty soon. We're gonna get we will get things back, but being all together in a space is so vital to theater and to our art form. And it's just heartbreaking that we can't all be together in this time when we really want to be, but we are still doing things right now. There are plenty of live streams around. There are places you can donate to. Every theater will take donations. They will never say no to your money. Absolutely. (laughs) We love taking your money. So, like... (laughs) if you were going to spend money on tickets anyway don't hold back on that in this time because we aren't going to be able to get back to work in a similar timeline for a lot of people and especially as a scenic artist thinking about supporting the artist artists are still working and doing work right now um if you know of an artist who makes something not necessarily a performance artist i'm sure that they do something similar to this also but they can still make you things and take commissions. you know what i mean yeah so a lot of artists right now will be depending on taking like other types of jobs so if you have other types of jobs that artists can do for you like me as a painter I've been helping out at my parents house painting their entire house helping them do home renovations and um like making signs and home decor like that kind of stuff we're still doing that just not where we want
0: right and as i tell most of the people that i sit down and talk to i think that artists supporting artists and you know anyone supporting artists um is the only way we'll get through this and get to the other side of this together
1: because we'll still we still need theater we always will and it's coming back but to to get back we all still have to be around
0: yeah, it's an art form that has survived hundreds of years and survived all kinds of tumultuous times and it endures.
1: <laughs> Good buzzword.
0: Well, Michaela, um, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and taking time out of your day to be on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I am so glad that we got to chat and visit. I just I miss being around other artists, It's really refreshing.
0: Well, for our listeners, that concludes this episode of the spotlight series and tune in next week. I'm your host, Morgan Shea, and we're signing off.